I'm so glad that you're here this morning as we're continuing our series through the book of Revelation, those seven churches in Revelation. Um, If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me there to Revelation chapter 3. And we did something last week that I'll do, like I said, it's an experiment throughout the month of... uh, throughout the month of February, and uh, we want to uh, not only just count, a lot of times uh, uh, churches count uh, the people who come to worship, count the people who come to, uh, um, uh, to life groups and things like that, but we want to not only just count because uh, not just counting numbers, we want to see faces, and so we started doing this uh, last week, and so I am uh, I'm taking what we call Selfie Sunday, and so I will take a picture, I did this in the early service, and uh, last week, and this is what we, it's funny because we looked at it at staff meeting. None of y'all smiled during this thing. I, I gave you a, an opportunity uh, to, I just snapped the picture. But uh, today I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to at least smile, okay? So one, two, three, smile. Good job. I'm going to do this one because I didn't, uh, everybody smile. One, two, three. All right, good deal. Uh, I will sell those later on. Uh, not really. Not really, but what we do, again, this is one of the things, we'll, uh, we'll print those off and we will uh, look at who's here, and uh, because there's some folks that uh, uh, a lot of times uh, can slip through the cracks. They're not part of a life group, they're not part of, an, uh, of a ministry uh, in, in the church, and we want to make sure that we're, uh, we're doing our due diligence and doing our best job of helping uh, connect people uh, and Christ and helping people uh, uh, and ministering to people as, uh, as they uh, need it. Because, I don't know if you've recognized this, but there's a lot of people sick. A lot of people are ill. A lot of people are uh, having a difficult time. A lot of people are traveling. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we're doing this is so we can see who's here. Uh, so we can uh, measure that against what, uh, who's not here and then, and then uh, make sure that we are ministering to, uh, uh, to our people well. So, uh, but I just wanted to do that. We'll continue to do that through the month of February. And then uh, uh, we may continue it on. Who knows? But uh, it was just an experiment for the month of February. And uh, uh, so if you're out at the restroom or if you're just kind of wandering the halls, uh, you are absent and uh, the angels in heaven will be sad. So uh, I'm just kidding. No, not really. But, uh, but hey, I want to ask you to turn your Bibles uh, to uh, Revelation chapter 3. And uh, we're continuing our series. We're almost finished with our series. Next week we, we finish up our series called Seven. It's about the seven churches in Asia. Jesus had a message for these seven churches in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey now. And he delivered it through the Apostle John who wrote these things down. And it became known as the book of Revelation. And today we're looking at the church in Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia, Mississippi. Not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was founded by uh, Italus II. And uh, uh, he was actually known as Philadelphus. And so that's where the name came from. And Philadelphia was a small church with very little strength. They were... Uh, they, they were known as someone with not a lot of power, not a lot of influence. They were kind of a, a runt of a church, if you will. But Philadelphia was a church at a crossroad. Literally, it was at a crossroad because it was set up uh, by, Philad- by, a, by a talus because he wanted to help spread Hellenization, which is the Greek culture. He wanted to help spread uh, the Greek culture uh, to the rest of the world. And so he founded this, uh, this city... In this, uh, in this city so that the, the Greek culture would go out in the four corners and, and would reach the rest of the world. 
But God also had a plan for this church in Philadelphia. And he has a plan for our church. He has a plan for Lee Heights Baptist Church. But, but this church in Philadelphia was a small church. It was a, it was a, a weakened church. And I can imagine as some of the members would look around at that church and they might see that church as something that is small and insignificant and can't really make a difference, can't really make an impact. But you know, Rick Warren says that the way you see your life shapes your life. And if we apply that to the church, it would go like this. It would, the way you see your church shapes your church. Friends, how do you see your church? How do you see Lee Heights Baptist Church? How do we see it? Jesus wants Philadelphia to see themselves as a faithful church. They were a faithful church. They weren't a large church. They weren't a powerful church. Probably didn't have enough volunteers in the children's ministry. Probably didn't have enough people to work in the tech booth. Amen? I got an amen from Beth in the tech booth in the early service. If y'all are interested, if you can plug in anything... You can work in the tech booth. It's a little more detailed than that. But if you can plug in anything, she can train you because she's that good. And, and we want to uh, expand that ministry. So if you're interested in working in the tech booth, uh, I'm sure they had that same kind of announcement at church in Philadelphia as well. You know, the church in Philadelphia probably struggled to meet budget. But Jesus encouraged this church to do some things that would have an eternal impact. And I hope this message will resonate with you because the way you see your church shapes your church. So let's take a look at what Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia. Look at verse 7 in chapter 3. It says, Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet. And they will know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to endure. And I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live upon the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. To the one, who, uh, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, your word is true, every word of it. And I pray that it would uh, impact our lives today. I pray that it would land on our hearts and that you would uh, speak to us. God, challenge us through the things that you want us to hear. Uh, move us by your spirit and allow us to understand and know how you want to see our life, how you want to see our church, and how we want to make the most of every opportunity that you give us. Father, we are honored to be in your presence this morning. And we pray that throughout the time of worship, throughout the time of, of, uh, of opening up your word, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and the minds of the people in this place. 
Father, I, I know that there may be people who watch this later on, even on uh, Facebook or, or listen to the, to the podcast. Father, I pray that you would allow your word to penetrate our hearts and change us from the inside out because you have a plan and a purpose for our life. You have a plan and a purpose for our church, and we're trusting you to do something great right here. I pray that you would make us a faithful church just like Philadelphia was a faithful church. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Lehites, in many respects, we, we're very similar to the church in Philadelphia. We have limited people. Look around. I mean, there are some empty seats here. We don't have as many people as, as we'd like to have, right? But even if we had as many people as we wanted to have, we couldn't put them all in the building. We have limited space. We, we have limited resources. But if we're faithful, with what we have. If we're faithful to what Jesus calls us to, you'll find this to be true. It doesn't take great size or it doesn't take great strength to make a great impact for the kingdom. So you don't have to go looking for something bigger and better and, and, and more elaborate. God has given us in this church, he's given us everything he needs or everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us the people. He's given us the space. He's given us everything that we need to do everything that he's called us to do right now. That's just exactly what he did with the church in Philadelphia. He gave them everything that they need. I'm sure that as a smaller church, they looked around at some of the larger churches and said, oh, I wish I were just more like this one. I wish I were more like Ephesus. I wish I were more like Pergamum, like Thyatira, like Sardis. I wish I were more like those churches. Friends, sometimes we, we have a tendency to do that in our churches and we look around and say, man, if we could be like that church. They're bigger. They have, they have more people on their worship team. They have, a full, uh, they have a full slate of volunteers in their children's ministry. I wish we could be what they were. Friends, I want to tell you, God has a plan for our church. He's given us everything we need to do exactly what he's called us to do. The question for us is, will we be faithful to do what he's called us to do? See, we have to, he's given us an open door. He told the Philadelphia church, he said, I've given, I've given you an open door. He's given us an open door. We can go through that open door. But if we go through that open door, it requires that we not be consumeristic Christians. You know what a consumer-driven Christian is? A consumer-driven Christian is just somebody that says, hey, this is all about me. I need to be fed. I need to be, you know, it's all about me. I need to come and I need to have the best worship, the one that moves me. I need to be part of a church uh, and I need, to, I need to feel something and I need to, I need to, I need to be exciting and I need to be, ex uh, I need to, I need to be big and, and, and I need to get a lot of friends there. And, and, and we have this idea that somewhere else can meet that need. And so we go from church to church to church to church, and we have it's what they call church hoppers. And they're looking for something. They're looking for, for that next big fix. They're looking for that silver bullet spiritually that's going to give them exactly what they're looking for. But the reality is God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness right here. But a lot of times what we do is, is we turn inward and we become consumer-driven. I'm afraid 
I'm concerned that we're a generation that worships worship. Chases after the better songs, the best worship bands, the the most eloquent speakers at the risk of being unfaithful to the place where God has called us to plant. You hear me, church? There is nothing wrong with gathering uh, information and listening to other other, uh, uh, worship bands and and worshiping and uh, allowing other worship bands to, to, uh, to teach us new things and listening to other preachers. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that, but... When that becomes our focus instead of, where God, instead of serving where God has planted us, then we become unfaithful as a church. See, the churches in Asia, they were probably like those churches I've just described. And I'm sure the church in Philadelphia was like, man, I... I may just go on over to Ephesus. I may go over to Smyrna. I may go over there because they got a better band or they've got, they've got a better preacher over there. They've got, to do the, they, they've got more buildings or they've got a better facility. They've got a greater children's ministry. Remember what Jesus spoke to them? He spoke rebuke to those churches. He rebuked them for leaving their first love, for chasing after idols, for for tolerating corruption and bad doctrine. But unlike the other churches, Jesus doesn't rebuke Philadelphia. You know why? Because they were faithful. Their faithfulness. And he gives them three promises. Let's look at those three promises. First thing he gave them was he gave them a promised opportunity. See, they were at a strategic place at a strategic time for a strategic purpose. The hope of Italus, the one who founded the city, was that they would spread Greek culture. But Jesus encouraged the church to use that strategic location to spread the good news about Jesus. And they didn't have to be a big church or a strong church or a rich church to do that. All they had to be was faithful when the opportunity arose. Look at verse 8. He said, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close. You know why Jesus can do this? Because he has the keys. He says, I have the key. I hold the key of David. He has all the authority. And Jesus says, you don't have to rely on your own strength. I know you're small. I know you're not strong. But don't worry about your strength. Lean on my strength. Because it was Jesus' strength that's going to make things happen. You be faithful with what I've given you, and I'll open the door for greater opportunities. That's what he's saying to us. Be faithful with what he's called us to. And he'll open doors of great opportunities. Now, football season was over until I realized that there's actually another football season that starts today or this weekend. I love football, and I'm glad it's almost year-round. But as I was thinking and planning, I I was kind of going through some, uh, some withdrawals about football. I said, you know what we need in this message? We need a good football illustration. How many of you have seen the movie Rudy? And I watched a whole lot of smiles on your faces. Yeah, Rudy. Because you, you've, you've seen the movie, and you know what's happening. Rudy was small. He was not strong. He was a lot like the church in Philadelphia. He didn't have a lot going for him. But what he did have was he did have an opportunity. And so every day at practice, he would suit up and get creamed. Day after day after day, he'd just come back. And come back and come back. And, and he knew he was never going to get in the game. He was never going to make an impact for the team. But at the end of his senior year, what happened? You know, everybody's just all excited. Because what happened was 
the, the old coach promised they'd put him in. He would let him dress out for the game. Then the new coach said, I don't think so, but they made him. The, the star players came in to tell the coach, said, we want Rudy to play. We want Rudy to dress out. And so Rudy got to dress out, and uh, I can just imagine the way it looked on the sidelines. It was all the players and then Rudy. You know, and, and he was small, and he was no good, and he was not, uh, not, very, uh, uh, not very big size, and he just was not going to make an impact. But at the end of the game, they had the game in hand, and so there came a chant. What was it? They did it in the first service. They, Rudy, Rudy. That's good. That's what they did. They, did, they chanted Rudy until they put Rudy in. It would have been a great story if Rudy would have recovered a fumble and ran for a touchdown, right? But he didn't. He just got in on, on a couple of plays, and they carried him off on the shoulders. Why? Not because he was the biggest, not because he was the strongest, not because he made the, big, uh, the greatest impact on the game, not because he helped win the game, but because of the impact he made off the field. He, he made an incredible impact because he was faithful with the opportunities that we, he was been given. Friends, you and I have been given opportunities. Lee Heights, what, is, what are you going to do with the opportunities that you've been given? We've been promised an opportunity. He's going to open a door for us. Will you go through that open door? Second promise he gives us is a promised protection. See, when you see yourself small, when you look around and say, hey, I'm small, I'm not real strong, I'm not real, uh, uh, I can't do a lot of anything, everything else around you looks giant, doesn't it? You have giant problems, giant issues, overwhelming obstacles, and it can be intimidating. It can cause you to shrink back and say, I can't do this. I I'm not old enough, students. I I'm, not, uh, I'm not strong enough. I'm, I'm, I'm too old. I can't do these things. Friends, we have an enemy that all he wants to do is bully us. You ever encountered a bully? Some may have been bullies. But how do you deal with a bully? You straight up face him, right? When I was growing up, we had what we called the Big Brother Protection Agency. Big brother, you know, younger brothers would get pushed around and bullied, and then the big brother would show up, who was bigger and stronger, and they'd kind of come and fold their arms and give them the stink eye, hope they wouldn't have to fight. That's what I was doing because I didn't like to fight. I'd just kind of stand up there and all my, all my brother's friends would kind of run away in fear. Now, that didn't happen very often. But see, when the big brother shows up and says, I'm going to protect you, look at what verse, what, what verse 9 says. Jesus says, I will make them from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, is our elder brother. He's got our back. He's going to fight any bully that comes our way to try and tell us we're too small to do what God's called us to do. We're not strong enough to do what God tells us to do. We don't have enough to do what God tells us to do. So Jesus says, I'll make them bow at your feet. He says, don't shrink back, don't run and hide. I'm going to protect you. I've got your back. How much confidence does it give you to know that Jesus has your back? 
that he'll protect you. See, we still have pain. We'll still have struggle. We'll still have trouble because we're living in a sinful world where sometimes evil seems to win. But Jesus says, endure. Hang on. Hang on during this hour of testing. And the hour of testing that he's talking about is the great tribulation. And you're saying, we've been in Revelation for six weeks, and now we're getting to the good stuff. We're going to be talking about the rapture. Hey, yeah, this is good. When's it coming? When's the rapture, Eric? Let us know when Jesus is coming back. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But there are a few things about the rapture, a few different views about the rapture. The Great Tribulation is a seven-year span where the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the earth. And and (laughs) there is a... Uh, several views, theological views, about when uh, the church will be raptured, when Jesus will come back and get his bride. Uh, there is the pre-tribulation view, or pre-trib, which means Jesus is going to come and, and get the church and take it away before all of the, of the wrath comes and before the tribulation comes. There is a mid-tribulation uh, view that says three and a half years in, and then Jesus is going to come. And then there's a post-tribulation rapture, uh, post-tribulation view that says that the church is going to have to endure uh, time on earth during the the great tribulation, and they're going to have to endure the time there. But, and that's the post-trib rapture, but Jesus promised protection, didn't he? He promised us protection. There is merit, biblical merit For all of these. But the main thing is not when is Jesus coming to get us. The main thing is we can have assurance that Jesus promised us that he would protect us from the wrath that's coming. Whether he gets us out of here or he protects us while we're here. Now personally, I believe there's evidence, more evidence, and and I believe uh, that uh, the church will be taken up in the pre-tribulation rapture. I believe in pre-trib, but I'm prepared for anything. He's promised protection. And then the third promise he gives us is he's promised us a future. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Listen. Um. Jesus encourages you. I've got your back. Don't retreat. I've given you some opportunities. I've opened the door. I want you to advance. I want you to seize the open door. Your future is bright. Hold on to what you have. He's saying, stay faithful. I'm coming. And because of your faithfulness, not your size, not your activities, not your notoriety, but because of your faithfulness to my word and your faithfulness to my people, the local expression of the local church, and and because of your faithfulness, you're going to be victorious. You're going to receive a victor's crown. And here's my promise for the future. Verse 12 says, I will make you a pillar. Now, I grew up in the rural areas of Alabama, and uh, I'm from the country, and, and we call the things we call pillars were the things that held your head up at night. <laughs> Give me a pillar. I need to go to sleep. They're pillows. I didn't learn that till I went to college. So uh, pillars were what held up great buildings. And if you go to an excavation site in biblical uh, 
areas, archaeologists will uncover ruins from biblical times. And you know what you find in many of those structures? Pillars. Pillars are the only thing that remained, the only thing that went into the future. And so a pillar was a a picture of strength and stability. You see what Jesus is doing here? Philadelphia, small in size, no strength, not very powerful. But get this, Jesus says, I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you stable. I'm going to make you a part of the temple of God. And I'll write the name of my God in the name of his, new, his city, the New Jerusalem. And here's what that means. You may not feel strong. You may have been bullied physically, emotionally, spiritually. But there's coming a day where you can stand strong. I'm promising that you can stand strong with a new name and a new residence. But until then, lean on my strength, he says. Live by my word because I'm about to do something in your church, Philadelphia. I'm about to do something in your church, Lehites. And I want you to get get in on it. And it has nothing to do with the size of your church or or whether or not uh, your your meeting budget, which, by the way, we're a little bit behind, so I want to encourage you to be faithful in your giving. It, It has nothing to do with any of those things, but it has everything to do with my power and provision, says the Lord. I'm orchestrating things to put you in the midst of an incredible opportunity, a crossroads, an open door. See, your faithfulness will impact your future. And then verse 13 says, let anyone who has ears to hear do what? Listen. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. It's not just meant for for Philadelphia. See, in those days when letters, even the letters that were written to a specific church, they were circulated. They were read and applied in Philadelphia, but then they went to other churches. And so this message was not just for Philadelphia, but it's for other churches in the area. But it's also for us today, Lehites. So listen up. What will you do when Jesus presents you with an open door? There are three things I believe the text is encouraging us to demonstrate when Jesus opens a door in our life. I want to give them to you very quickly. The first thing is demonstrate a personal relationship. Can people see that you love Jesus? Can people see that you are a Christ follower? Can people see that you're a disciple of Jesus? How, do they, how can they tell? Well, by you being daily formed in his image, in his holiness, having a selfless commitment to his people, to his church. See, I think part of the problem where churches have lost their, their influence is because the world, the lost world, is looking at the church and all they're seeing is consumers. They come to church and they, they say, what are you going to give me now? What are you going to bless me with? God, I'm here. Bless me. What if you selflessly, unselfishly, planted yourself where you are and helped disciple those in your church? See, we have an open door for that. Reaching people in our, in our sphere of influence and walking with them through the Word of God for a year to help them be a disciple who then goes and makes a disciple. Will you demonstrate a personal relationship with Jesus? Also, would you demonstrate a willing witness? See, our church sits at a crossroad. It's not a literal crossroad like, like Philadelphia was, but we're at a spiritual crossroads. We have to decide which way we're going to go. We have to decide what kind of church we're going to be. 
See, if we do nothing, if we just continue to to be a consumer-driven church, if we just continue continue to say, I'm going to show up and I'm going to sing some songs and I'm going to consume messages and I'm going to do do the things that fill me, If if that's all we do and we do nothing intentionally to reach people and make disciples, we will begin the process of slow, almost undetectable slide that will lead in death. But our open door is something that we're focusing on this year. We've, we've talked about it. I, I, hopefully, hopefully you heard about it in life groups today. We're beginning this campaign in a couple of weeks called Who's Your One? And on, two, on, uh, on the 24th of this month, we're going to roll that out. And, and that's, I want to encourage you to be here and bring people with you on that day because that's the kickoff for our Who's Your One campaign. And I guarantee you, if you will embrace this Who's Your One campaign throughout this year, you will see lives change. You will see God transform people's lives like never before. And, and so here's the thing. is you, All we're asking you to do is reach one person this year. And you say, Eric, that's not real ambitious. Well, let me ask you a question. How many people did you reach last year? How many people did you reach for Christ and disciple last year? If we just reach one person, if everybody in the sound of my voice reaches one person, guess what? We'll have to buy more chairs. We'll have to figure out what we may have to go to three services, may four services. We may have to do something different. It'll challenge us. But if you demonstrate a willing witness, I promise you, Jesus will do far more than you ever thought possible. And you can demonstrate what we call in the, the, this last final walking point, you can demonstrate an unshakable faith. You may think I'm small, I'm, I'm insignificant, I can't do that, I can't reach one, I can't, we can't reach the shoals. Listen, we're not asking you to reach the shoals, we're asking you to reach one. We'll unpack this in the next couple of weeks, but we simply want you to, to, to pray for three lost people. We want you to learn a gospel presentation. We want, to, we want you to invite five people to come to church or life group with you, and we want you to share the gospel one time. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but... When you do this, it allows us to demonstrate an unshakable faith. Whether you look and feel like you're strong or not, the world around us, they may look confident, they may look strong, but the truth is without Christ, it's all going to crumble. They need a demonstration of an unshakable faith. Philadelphia had a history of earthquakes. So they understood there was a whole lot of shaking going on. Some of y'all older folks got that. But you have some things in your life that shake you. When life all around you seems like it's unstable, how do you respond? I'll tell you how you respond. You look for something that's stable and you grab onto it, don't you? I hold on to something that's stable. How do you respond? You hold on to something stable like his word, like his name like his church, like his promise. No matter what comes your way, Jesus gives you the confidence to be unshaken because your life is holding on to to Jesus as a firm foundation. Well, just like we sang earlier, I will never be shaken. 
Because we build our life on him alone. Watchman Nee was a Christian uh, in China, a Chinese church leader in the early 20th century. He was persecuted. He was imprisoned for his faith, and he spent the last 20 years of his life in prison. And, and he said this, outside of Christ, I'm weak, but in Christ, I'm strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I've been defeated. In Christ, I'm already victorious. How meaningful are the words in Christ? Friends, are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, then you are in store for an incredible opportunity. We may not have the size or the strength or the budget or the buildings or the prestige or the notoriety of larger, bigger, more prominent churches. But if we seize the door of opportunity the Lord is giving us at this crossroads, we can live out this truth. It doesn't take great size or strength to make a great impact for his kingdom.